Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday here. Derek Kramer and now joined with me, not just someone that's going to be on the Western Hotline, but someone to my left-ish. Um, yeah, my left-ish. I'm looking at him, but it's he's like straight still, across the table. Straight across, kind of. but like if I if I turn to the microphone, it's left-ish. If I turn myself in a chair, now I'm straight across from it. It's TJ Luckman. What's up, everybody? I wish we had like an applause little thingy that we can play for that one. And it's uh, okay. No applause is necessary. Yeah, no, no applause is necessary. TJ will. It's a thankless job to have to work with me, and um, but somebody's got to do I it. I agreed to it, so it, it's it's my own fault. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, TJ is lucky enough that he wasn't here a couple weeks ago when we had to try like Buffalo Pepsi or anything ridiculously dumb like that. So I was very thankful for that, by the way. Yes, no, that was. Um, <laughs> Wizard arrives exactly when he is asked to. Like that—that—that's what this is with TJ here uh, to join us here for the rest of the show. But also joining us now on the Western Hotline is one of my favorite people to talk to, and I'm a little upset that I, that it's been a long time. But I've got Mark Schofield now joining us here on Sports Talk Saturday. Mark, it's Derek, it's TJ. How are you now? I'm doing well, my friend. Always great to be with you. It has been too long. TJ, great to have you here as well. Excited to talk a little football. And I'm I'm really got my fingers crossed that you're not going to ask me a single question about the New England Patriots because that would make my Saturday morning a little bit better if you just avoid that topic altogether. Mark, you've been gracious to me for years about the dominance of the Patriots, so I will spare you this time around, also because it's not Patriots week. Um also perfect timing like i don't have to ask you questions about the patriots because the bills aren't playing them yet um so we'll spare you this one well i appreciate that because <laughs> there's not a lot of fun stuff to be said about the new england patriots right now unless of course you're a bills fan and in which case you'd love me to talk about the patriots a little bit longer i get it <laughs> well we're not going to worry about that but we are going to focus a little bit with the bills here um, a loss in London that was a little more devastating than the scoreboard indicates, obviously. The defense suffering three major blows within two weeks of having Tredavious White, Matt Milano, and Daquan Jones all knocked out of the lineup and taking what was looking like a dominant unit and making them a little less formidable. Yeah, and I think for me that's kind of the takeaway, the big picture takeaway from that loss in London is just the injuries on the defensive side of the ball now. Because like you said, this was a unit that 
looked like it was going to be a very strong defense. It looked like it was going to do the things that we need to see from defenses in the NFL this year to be successful, pressure the passer, you know, get a stop, get a short field here or there, you know, just give the offense a little bit of a helping hand. I mean, it's not the 1980s. You're not going to be pitching shutouts left and right, unless you're playing the Patriots, of course. But with those three injuries, it's going to be a lot tougher to do those kinds of things for this unit. Now, we also saw, look, when they can get clicking, that offense can score in a hurry. You saw that in the four-play touchdown drive, you know, 75 yards and, and almost the blink of an eye, but it was a case too little too late. The question is going to be obviously going forward, can this offense now share the, share the load, you know, take on that burden of having a score, having a win when you've got to put up points because the defense, as we've said, is banged up. That's going to be a big story to watch. And one of the more fascinating things about the Bills, not just this year, but over the course of several seasons, has been how their point differential doesn't really paint the actual picture of this team sometimes. And the fact that they end up either only losing close games or just blowing poor opponents out of the water, it's more or less now becoming in this story of a Bills team that doesn't really know when to turn it on when it's necessary. Yeah, that has been an interesting thing to track because, you know, as you've mentioned, it's a lot of close games and then blown out sort of, you know, weaker opponents. You know, is there an issue of, okay, you know, getting things going and get, turn it on, like you said, but you need to be consistent in your performances from week to week. You know, and that's a big part of being a successful football team is having the ability to, what, regardless of opponent, take care of business, go out there and put in the kind of performance on both sides of the ball, particularly the offensive side of the ball. You know, it doesn't matter who you play and what kind of defense you're playing. You're finishing drives with seven. You're not turning the football over. I mean, you think back to week one when Rodgers goes down, everybody's immediately thinking, oh, this is going to be, you know, Bill's win going away. And you get the turnovers and suddenly you find yourself losing a game that you really should have won. Joe, and finding that consistency, I think, is going to be another big story for this team. Can they, you know, down the stretch as you get into November and December when, you know, games start to matter a little bit more, even though they all count the same, you know, you got that, you know, playoff run kind of push when you need to be playing your best football near the end of the season. Can they turn in that consistency week to week? Mark Schofield of SB Nation joining us on the West Her Hotline. Mark, while there needs to be some consistency issues figured out on the offense, it is looking like another just ho-hum kind of season for Josh Allen and for Stephon Diggs, who are once again amongst the leaders in yards, production, and everything else of the sort. But it's also turning into a different bit of a story where the offensive line has become one of the Bills' um, better things within this offense. Yeah, and that was a question coming into the offseason, right? You know, uh, one of my favorite parts about being at the Combine is seeing what beat reporters stand in front of what podiums because that's, I think, one of the biggest windows into, oh, what is, what is the team going to do this offseason? And interestingly enough, when I saw a lot of Patriots beat reporters in front of, say, C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, it got me thinking. But every beats reporter, every Bills reporter I saw was in front of offensive linemen, you know, because that, that was a position that – it was obvious the Bills wanted to improve this offseason. And the fact that that unit is, as you said, performing the way it is, that's going to be a big down the stretch as well. Because you start thinking about the different ways teams can win games and the different things that teams can sort of hang their hat on when it gets to be third quarter, fourth quarter, third down late. 
you think about a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, and one of the things that they can sort of hang their hat on when, you know, things get tough in a close game is they've got perhaps the best offensive line in football, the best position group in football, that offensive line. It's been so good during their recent success. That's a good thing to have. And if the Bills have that ability now with that offensive line to, you know, understand that when it's third and seven, Allen's going to be protected. He's going to have time. When it's, you know, a situation where you need a big play, you're going to be able to get it blocked up. That's huge for a team to have. There are a lot of teams that would love to have that kind of stability, that kind of success, that ability to lead into something, hand their hat on when it's third and seven late. And so that's going to be big for this team too, especially if, you know, it's a situation where because of the injuries on the defensive side of the ball, you need to win games with your offense. That's a big thing to have. Now, Mark, I want to shift over to the Giants here a little bit. The Bills are playing uh, against a defensive unit. Aziz Ojolari is going to be out this Sunday. What are the Bills' keys on offense against this Giants defense that they can be successful with? Yeah, I mean, I think big picture-wise, before diving into sort of film-wise and nitty-gritty kind of stuff, just take care of the football. I mean, this is a game where you're going up against a team in the Giants that, you know, I've written this earlier this season, kind of is now getting punished for being a season early. I mean, last year, expectations were not high. Joe Shane, their general manager, was coming in and saying, look, we had a number of roster decisions that we needed to make from a, a standpoint of we had to create some cap space. We were up against it from a financial standpoint. And then they turn around and make this run to the playoffs. And it was fantastic. It was great. They're kind of a year ahead of schedule, but now they're paying the price for it because you had to make some decisions like the Daniel Jones contract. Now you're playing a tougher schedule. Now you're not going to sneak up on teams, and you're seeing the results of it right now. They're banged up. Jones is out, so you're going to get an old friend across the field and Tyrod Taylor. Take care of the football. I mean, I think that's the big picture thing. In terms of going up against this defense specifically, I think this is a game where you can have some success running the football a little bit. I think because they're a little bit banged up, I think you're going to have time for Josh Allen. Obviously, they have some players that can still rush the passer, but with the success of your offensive line, you can do some things schematically to sort of neutralize threats there, get things blocked up from a protection standpoint, and have success throwing, and particularly throwing downfield. I think they can have some success pushing the ball downfield in the vertical passing game. So I think this is an opportunity for the Bills to have a good performance. Now it's you know, obviously you have to go do it. You know, nothing's easy in the NFL, but I think this is an opportunity for the Bills to have a very good game against a team that's kind of paying the price for being a year early with their success last season. Mark, about the Giants, uh, focusing a little bit more there, and you saying, you know, being punished for the success of being a year early. Daniel Jones, uh, how do I put this nicely? Might be one of the best thieves of our time or con men of our time um, with a contract that, Looked a little bit rich for his abilities, and now statistically it's been awful. You look at how he's played, and it hasn't been good. Do you think maybe there's a little bit of a, a chance of stability here for him to sit out um, and possibly avoid the best pass rush in the National Football League right now? The Bills lead it with 21 sacks. But more importantly, be able to actually like take a seat, really try to learn a little bit more, um, almost akin to like when Josh Allen had to go out with injury. I mean, possibly, but I mean, we're not talking about a rookie quarterback or a second-year quarterback. He's in the, been in the league for a while now. I mean, I generally think that there are instances where a younger quarterback has to sit down due to injury or, you know, poor play, and it's an opportunity for them to sort of get that reset, to take a step back, get a breather, 
start seeing things again from a different perspective and go, oh, yeah, okay, now now I get it. When we're in this protection scheme, when we're trying to do this against this coverage, this is what I should be doing. I, I think there are moments in a young quarterback's career where you can benefit from that. But, I mean, Daniel Jones is a little bit more advanced than that at this point. You're expecting him to be able to see pressures. You're expecting him to be able to feel pressure better. And that's been a problem for him this year. And when you're trying to, like, struggle with, when you're struggling with that behind an offensive line that is struggling, it's not the very best combination. Now, I think there is a benefit in which he'll get to avoid this Buffalo pass rush, which obviously has been good, as you've said. So he'll benefit from not having to go against that unit because of the struggles up front that they have, because of his inconsistency and in seeing and feeling and reacting to pressures this season. But the big picture idea of, oh, you know, this is a chance for him to reset, he shouldn't need that at this point in his career. And I, I think that's the, the bigger picture issue that I have with Jones at this point is, you know, we're well into his career. We're past the idea of a second-year jump, a third-year leap, and all of that stuff. He should be farther along with these issues than he is right now. Now, last year was great. You know, a lot of it was designed runs, QB read. You know, I, I've seen people on social media saying, look, we gave – you know, Brian Gable, coach of the year honors and things like that because he ran zone read with Daniel Jones. Like, how hard was that to do? Had 120 design rushing attempts as a quarterback last year, career high. He should be farther along than he is right now. And, you know, maybe it does work out this way. Maybe it does give him a chance to catch his breath, relax, see some things better, and maybe he does have a little second half of the season jump as a result. But we should be beyond this point with him, right? You would think. and um... 100%. But again, it's one of those things where you look at it and part of how I let it in was, you know, possibly being one of the best con men I've seen in a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the Giants, though, looking like one of these teams that's going to be fighting for the Caleb Williams sweepstakes or the Drake May consolation prize and a couple of other struggling offenses along that way. I, I won't mention one team that is in that race all of a sudden. But uh, another one that has caught everyone's attention and even transcended leagues, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, we got Fire Canada chance from PPG in the NHL when the Penguins were playing the other night. So what is up with just how bad and how fascinatingly bad the Pittsburgh Steelers are offensively? I can't make sense of it. And I, <laughs> I actually pointed this out on Twitter like last week or so. You know, I had Steelers fans sending me clips, begging me for help. Like, what are they trying to do with this play? And, you know, you start looking at specific plays from a route concept standpoint, from a protection standpoint, and it just all feels just disjointed. You know, you study this offense on film, and it's, you know, I, I've described it as sort of a high school-style offense. Like, you know, you've got one or two routes. You've got base protection schemes. It seems like it's a pretty easy offense for an opposing defensive coordinator to game plan for now they they find ways to win they find ways to win ugly that defense is certainly going to keep them in games and I think the best description I've heard for the Steelers my buddy J.P. Acosta over at SB Nation last week when we were doing our weekly you know Monday podcast recapping all the games he said look the Steelers are who we thought the Patriots were going to be you know we thought the Patriots were going to be a good defense that kept them in games and their offense would find ways to win that's kind of where I think the Steelers are. I think that's a great description for them because the offense is disjointed, doesn't seem to make sense at times. It doesn't seem like they're making the best use of the players that they have at their disposal, like Pickens and others. 
but that defense is good enough that when you can get some drops or you can force some turnovers or you can do some things on the defensive side of the ball to keep your offense in games, they might find a way to somehow win. And perhaps, look, everybody saw the clip of Canada on the touchdown where it seemed like he didn't know what was going on. Maybe he almost win at his expense, you could say. That's that's the that was the face of a man who did not call the play that won that right. game. That's exactly what it was, right? TJ was like, I did not call that, but I guess it worked, so I should be happy. But what? Yeah, amazing it, clip. Disjointed from the booth on down. Oh man, yeah. The Steelers again. They're just this. It's a fascinating thing of just how bad that offense has been, not just this year, but last year, where obviously you're starting to hear those chants and. Yeah, I have my gripes with Ken Dorsey sometimes in terms of consistency, but we're not at cheering or chanting to fire the offensive coordinator at hockey games. So it is not that bad. That said, yeah, I mean, oh, sorry, Mark. No, I mean, it's just for many teams, for any fan bases, the offensive coordinator is the you know the the person that people point to, and it's. It's rare that you find, and then there are certainly some, you know, Ben Johnson, for example, in Detroit that, you know, fan bases love right now. But I always warn people, look, sometimes it could get worse. You know, maybe that's not the case with the Steelers, but sometimes it could get worse. Speaking of things that could get worse, um, the Denver Broncos. Uh, another coordinator that you have to wonder at some point, how does he still have a job? But then Thursday night kind of proved it. Vance Joseph goes and slows down the Kansas City Chiefs a little bit. But Kansas City is almost seeming like an offense that is not themselves lately. Yeah, they, and you almost wonder if they were just trying some stuff out. I mean, you've got laterals from Kelsey. They're, they they were fake field goal, tush-push kind of play where you've got – your holder slash punter is one of the pushers, which, you know, maybe have him sneak it and have the two tight ends. I mean, it was like, look, we're going up against a historically bad defense. So let's just empty the drafts, right? If you've had a play idea, let's just get it out on film, see if it works. Uh, because that is a historically bad defense. And, you know, you wonder if they actually did some stuff that slowed them down or was more Kansas City shooting themselves in the foot. I, I think the interesting thing from the Chiefs' perspective is, you know, I thought coming into this season you were going to see them two tight ends, three tight ends, and they've been, you know, one of the most efficient units with two tight ends on the field. I think they were coming into this week sixth in overall EPA using 12 personnel, you know, because the question about the Chiefs coming in was where are they going to get the receiver production, who their wide receiver is going to be. But last year they were so explosive out of three tight ends and two tight end sets. They've been efficient with – 12 personnel this year. Are they going to lean into that more as we get down the stretch here and into or towards the postseason? But I, I look at Thursday and I think it was, look, we're going up against a bad defense. Let's try some different things. Let's, you know, see, you know, feel our thing, feel some things out a little bit. I think Kansas City is going to be fine. Denver's obviously a mess. You know, they're tied to Russell Wilson. The financials are what they are. Our good buddy, uh, our good buddy, uh, Mr. Matt Warren, wrote a great piece at SB Nation yesterday about the financials and how bad they are and how they can't really do anything with respect to Russell Wilson's contract. They can't get out from under that anytime soon. Historically bad defense, quarterback that's playing pretty poorly that you're tied to. It's not a great situation in Denver. Mark, I want to shift over to the West and the NFC, and I have just been racking my brain wondering how anybody's going to be Kyle Shanahan, Brock Purdy, and the San Francisco 49ers. They are blowing charts out of the water right now through five weeks. 
they are a juggernaut. What is what is it that makes Purdy and Shanahan that merit that that marriage between him and uh, head coach and quarterback that makes them so successful? Yeah, and it's a great question, and many people have sort of termed it as Shanahan's got that extension of himself on the field, and Purdy, you know, he does great things schematically, and he's got so many talented skill players at his disposal that. You know, one week it's McCaffrey, one week it's Ayuk, one week it's Kittle, one week it's Debo. They build in concepts off of their foundational concepts that stress defenses in so many different ways. You might see them run the same play three times, but it's three different plays because of the way they move pieces around. Sometimes it's McCaffrey in the slot and Debo in the backfield. Sometimes it's McCaffrey in the backfield and Debo in the slot. Sometimes it's Kittle in the backfield or Kyle Juszczyk. They just they could beat you so many different ways, running some foundational stuff that it still looks different. But the jump has been Purdy. And I know Purdy has been a huge talking point this entire season, but either you look at the game he had the other night against Dallas, you look at the game he had in week one against Pittsburgh, where the Steelers really did some creative things to get some free runners at him from a pressure standpoint, to get players and throwing lanes from a coverage standpoint. But Purdy was ahead of it all with his mind. You know, there was a play where he wants to throw a slant to, I, I believe it was Ayuk on the right side of the field, but C.J. Watt bluffs a pass rush and drops underneath the slant. You know, they've got that play taken away. I think Purdy last year would have thrown it and thrown a pick, but instead he sees it, comes off, it goes backside to McCaffrey on a check down, and it's a big play. They had Micah Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick free rush on a corner blitz. He spins away from it and makes a throw. He's taking a little bit of a step on not just running the offense, but expanding it. And so I think that's the critical part to what they're doing this year. Last year it was paint by numbers quarterback. I've heard people call him as an MPC QB, but this year he's sort of kicked it up a notch. He's adding some extra stuff to it. That's gone beyond just the bare bones of the offensive design and call that Shanahan is calling. And so I think that's, what's making this team dangerous right now, as far as what can stop them. You know, you start thinking about teams they might see down the road in the playoffs. Uh, it's hard to say that Dallas could. That just looks like a really bad matchup for them from the Cowboys' perspective. Philadelphia still certainly could because of the things that they can do on offense, because of what they can do on defense. I think that looks like it's going to be an NFC title game. Obviously, the dark, dark horse is Detroit. I think Detroit's got a style of play and what they do defensively, what they do on offense as well, that could give San Francisco some trouble, but – Right now, the Niners look like, because of what they're seeing from Purdy and the different ways they can beat you, they look like the class of the NFC. Mark, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the upcoming quarterback class. This is how we got into plenty of conversations over the years. It's how it all started. So you know i got to circle it back this way because this is looking like a very hyped-up quarterback class, a lot more hyped-up than, say, the past several seasons even. Uh You've got Caleb Williams. You've got Drake May. There's plenty of real prestige coming in for this quarterback class and a lot of bad teams that could use some answers under center. Yeah, and this is going to be a fascinating debate. I mean, I, I, I was saying yesterday at the SB Nation Slack channel, you know, there's a conversation about how Caleb Williams would have gone ahead of, you know, Burrow, you know, would have gone ahead of, you know, Bryce Young, and I was like, we got 195 days until the draft, friends. So it's going to be a bumpy ride until we get to the end of April. 
But it does look like it's going to be a very good quarterback class. Now, you mentioned the two at the top, Williams, May. Most people have Williams one. Some people have May one. They're both very good. They're both very talented. But it doesn't end there. And I think later today, we get Oregon and Washington, which last year was a tremendous game. You know, one of my favorite games of last year's college football season. But the two quarterbacks we're going to see in that game, Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., are both extremely talented. Nix looks nothing like the quarterback he was when he was at Auburn. He's taken a huge step forward the past couple of seasons. Michael Penix Jr. has an electric arm, you know, athletic as well. Those two quarterbacks are in the sort of mix for that QB3 discussion. Quinn Ewers has had a leap of his own. You know, they lost last night. I don't know what his plans are, but Shadur Sanders is a very talented quarterback as well. He can make some throws that, you know, you often don't see quarterbacks making or even trying. He's been fun to watch as well. Again, I don't know what his plans are. I would imagine he probably goes back for another year because Colorado is, again, a team that's sort of ahead of schedule. They won and been more competitive than people probably thought they were going to be because of the turnover at Colorado, but next year they could be dynamic. It's a fun quarterback class. Now, there's a long way to go, but it's, it's a talented group. We're going to have three, four, I think, in the first round, maybe more, who knows. Um, but it's a very, very – it's shaping up to be a very good quarterback class. Mark, thank you, as always, for uh, taking your time to be able to talk with us. It's been a long time coming. Um, so th- I'm personally very happy that I've been able to talk to you again. And you know this next part. Tell the people where to find your work if they are under a rock for some reason and not following you already. Well, Derek, it has been too long. It was great to catch up with you and chat some ball. TJ, fantastic to chat with you today. Uh, Mark Schofield on X, Twitter, the Bird app, whatever we're calling it these days, uh, <laughs> SBNation.com. Um, you can find all the great work over there. Thanks so much, friends. Have a fantastic Saturday. Enjoy the games this weekend. Mark, you know we will, and we hope for the same for you. And um, hopefully – I'm conflicted. I want you to feel better about your football team, but at the same time, I very much – 20 years of me says I don't. But as a friend, I hope that it gets easier. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, hope for me that it gets easier. Don't, don't, don't hope for me that it gets better or good or anything. Just hope that it gets easier, yes. however form that takes. How about that? There we go. Hopefully dealing with them and that offensive ineptitude, it gets easier. I mean, we have 20 years of practice. If you need to ask us questions about how to cope with it, uh, we've got the cope. So we can hey, help you out. Season started, so there we go. There you go. Perfect. Exactly. Mark, enjoy your weekend. Thanks so much, friends. Have a good one. Mark, too, Mark Schofield, SB Nation, joining us there on the West Her Hotline. Well, speaking of hockey, that's a nice way to tease the next segment. Um, I was very salty about dealing with the one-three-one, and I'm going to address that salt mine in the next segment. Why is it so annoying? Why do I want to create a time machine to fix the trap from the 90s? And what can the Sabres do about it? To make sure that if they do have to keep facing it, how can they adjust? We'll have that, plenty more. Bills, Sabres, whatever you want, 803-0550, because now it is your turn to join us here on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.